0: I'm Bronwyn Beth, and welcome back to The Misfit Musician, the podcast where music and mental health meet. Thanks for bearing with me last week. I just needed a little bit of a break, but I'm back now, and I have a couple exciting episodes waiting to go out and I appreciate you all sticking around. Today, I had the privilege of talking with Valerie Spates. She founded the Andante Living Instagram page a couple years ago, and it's all about learning how to live slowly and more presently. As musicians, we tend to have really chaotic lives, whether it's filled with gigs or we're in music school, And a lot of the advice that she has from her own personal experience and things that she does with her students and just in her daily life are incredibly valuable, and I think you'll learn a lot from her. So let's get into this episode with Valerie Spates. So, Valerie, welcome to The Misfit Musician, and thanks for being willing to come on here and chat with me today. Thanks Uh, for having me. Yeah. So, you run the Instagram page on Dante Living, and you're also a violinist. Um, And what do you, are you like a violinist for a living? Do you teach?
1: Yeah, so mostly I teach right now. And in terms of performances, that's something that has actually I guess evolved a little bit as I've gotten more into Andante living and like the core of Andante living, which is slow living. And that actually, it's like really influenced my relationship to my instrument to the point where I find myself like totally rethinking, like how, what, what kind of a violinist do I want to be? What kind of performances do I want to do? And so in a sense, yes, I do still like consider myself like a professional violinist and that I do have the occasional performance. But right now all of my goals around that are like evolving a little bit. Mm. For the most part right now, actively teaching though.
0: Okay. That's awesome. Those sound like really important questions to ask yourself as you're kind of developing your career. But for myself as well and like anyone listening, how do you describe slow living? Like what does that term mean?
1: So slow living, it's really interesting because there's all of these like forums online for slow living. And a lot of people ask that question in those forums pretty often. And then the answers that come out of that are so varied. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Everyone has a really like long detailed, almost poetic thing about what slow living is. Um, But essentially at its core, slow living is essentially the idea of being able to have the freedom to determine how you want to go about things. And sometimes that might be very literal in terms of, okay, we need to actually slow down in terms of making sure that you actually have time to think about what kinds of things are important to you and and what you want to do. And sometimes it's slow in a different sense that we want our lives to be enriched by something other than they're currently enriched by. we want to sort of craft things in a more deliberate, more intentful, is it an intentful word? (laughs) More intentional, there we go. I feel like intentful should be a word, but a more intentional way. And so it can be kind of abstract and slow living is going to look differently for everyone. But at the end of the day, it's about making space in your life using whatever tools you have available to just give yourself room to make meaningful decisions.
0: That's so valuable that sounds like something that everyone <laughs> should do yeah what was your kind of personal journey to realizing that you wanted to practice this or that you weren't living slowly i guess
1: that that is a great question i looking back i feel like i actually had several speed bumps <laughs> like i was probably i was at one point i was going what well, feels like 200 miles an hour my schedule was completely booked i had no time to actually just think and sit and just be a person (laughs) it was completely just totally absorbed in everything i wanted to do with work and school and uh teaching and trying to have some kind of a social life in the middle of all of that that i really didn't have a lot of dedicated time to just decide okay this is what all of these gigs and all of my students and all of uh, all my professors and stuff want me to do, but what do I actually want to do? Hmm. Um, and so I think I spent a long time and then I sort of like gradually was burning out and I didn't burnout wasn't a common word at the time. <laughs> I just knew I was tired all the time. Yeah. I didn't really have the words for it. Hmm. It was just like two or three years ago that people like just a little bit before the pandemic started where people yeah. started to sort of check in with each other and say, Hey, are you okay? I'm not okay. I'm not okay either. Um, And so I started to burn out more and more. And one of the major things that was just probably the biggest red flag for me in terms of like, okay, I'm doing too much all at once was uh, the onset of some pretty severe chronic pain that started happening towards the end of my undergraduate degree to Mm -hmm. the point where I had to take a semester completely off. Wow. And essentially what had happened was I guess I, begun like, actually regularly practicing right around seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And soon thereafter, I switched to a full-size violin. I had a three-quarter switched to a full-size, which is completely normal. And I didn't really know until years down the line that this was actually a bigger than average full-size violin.
0: Interesting.
1: And so I started developing all kinds of chronic pain and tension, but I would just push through it and push through it and push through it. And that was a pattern for about seven years. And then everything just sort of, I was just in this constant pain, finally saw a chiropractor who referred me to this fantastic physical therapist who explained to me that I was um, dealing with this thing called aledinia. And just to describe like how severe it was, I remember like my first uh, appointment where he was doing an assessment of my mobility and my range of motion and everything. He kept asking me, are you sure you weren't in a car accident? (laughs) <laughs> like, cause boy, you, boy. you, you just all of your symptoms, just it just looks like you were hit by car at forty miles an hour. Mm-hmm. What happened? I had just, I had this really bizarre pain that was just very hard to diagnose. And what we ended up landing mm-hmm. on was that there's this condition called allodynia. And for people who have chronic pain of six months or more, among those people, there's something like a, I think it's like a three percent chance that you'd get allodynia. But essentially what it means is that your spinal cord has become hypersensitive to all kinds of stimuli Mm -hmm. and it's not really filtering anymore, the difference between pain and pressure. And so you just had chronic pain for seven years (laughs) or longer than seven years. And so you just kept like, you just kept racking up your chances and finally you got it. And so I had to take so much time off just to do physical therapy and try to physically take care of myself. I was devastated. I was like, what do you mean I can't go? What do you mean I can't go to class? What do you mean I need a handicla- handicap placard? I don't want one, I want to just be able to to do stuff. But it had gotten to the point where I would just be in the store and my hands would just give up and drop my keys wow. or drop my phone. And I just I couldn't hold stuff. To like really think about it if i wanted to pick up a glass of water I was just like, okay use two hands <laughs> just to make that work and it was yeah. so incredibly hard so i had to stop and i had to slow down and from there it was sort of a gradual build up of okay how i'm how i how am i going to reintegrate practice into my life in a way that's healthy and sustainable how am i going to reintegrate gigs and work and school and teaching and performances and things like that and then you know as a few, you know, this was a few years ago since time went on i sort of started asking myself well do i actually want to do i want to be on the old schedule that got me into that mess in the first place and further whenever i'm teaching what can i do to help my students not end up in the same situation that i was in yeah. and a lot of times in lessons that comes with just giving them room to sort of think about like, okay, am I uncomfortable or am I in pain (laughs) when I'm doing this posture? Yeah. And really empowering them to speak up, even if I don't have the perfect solution, even if all I can do is just say, hey, let's just work on theory for a bit while you make a doctor's appointment. Even if that's all I can do for them, I want them to feel like lessons are an an okay place to talk about symptoms if ever they need to. And that we don't have to make technical progress at a breakneck speed. We don't.
0: We absolutely don't. Right. So progressing like the whole musician. Yes. Yeah. So that's how Andante Living was kind of born, like out of that situation, trying to integrate it. Wow. So were you in school for music? Yeah. Yeah. I have a bachelor's in violin performance. Okay. And I think that that's really... I think that's like such a story that a lot of people can relate to, even if it's not as extreme, just because like when you're going to school for music, um, especially performance, the pressure to be practicing and playing so many hours a day, it just causes injury if you aren't careful and you just push through, like you don't think about it. You like tape mm-hmm. up your arm or do whatever you have to do. So, so much tape. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And in some ways, it's like, you know, at in my undergrad, when you saw someone with tape, you're like, oh, they practice a lot.
1: Right. It was like, like a, a badge a mark of honor. honor. It was <laughs> kind of like the, the violin mark that people get under their jaw. It's just like, yeah, oh,
0: exactly. they're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think just kind of trying to reframe that can be really difficult. Um, and I think that it's really admirable that you've Taken that hard situation and kind of brought something really needed for a lot of musicians out of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's been really enriching. And honestly, I started it. i had had the idea of creating a blog and creating some sort of a lifestyle blog brand back in like 2019. Mm-hmm. And so I just had these ideas. I had these drafts of blog posts, and I like they're still <laughs> I still have the drafts and everything. And um, and they're really I just didn't actually find the time for it until after lockdown started. <laughs> that's when everybody had time and everyone's baking bread. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. And then that's when I actually had coined it in like 2020.
0: Nice. That's so cool. Um, you had a post on your um, Dante Living Instagram page that was kind of red flags for knowing if you're overbooked.
1: And Ooh, that
0: one. Yeah, I thought that was really helpful. And I think um, because there is, especially if you're trying to like build a career and be a performer, it is common to just be really busy. And I think there can be a difference between like being busy and being really unhealthily busy. And so I was just curious if you could share some of the things that that you see as red flags or just kind of wake up calls that people could watch out for to know if they're overbooked before they burn out
1: yeah that uh i'm trying to remember exactly what i wrote in the caption of <laughs> that because i remember doing it i remember one of them i remember i was sort of like giving out like some examples just because it is like you said it is different for everything yeah. um so Yeah, so it's really important to do that because most people are just like, so long as I don't double book myself, I'm good. I can do it. I'm fine. Fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we like, like, we clench our teeth and we just kind of grit right through it. Um, And so it's it's something that's going to vary a lot for everybody. Um, So for example, if someone is going 200 miles an hour Mm -hmm. and their schedule is totally booked, for them, a realistic way to start building in a speed bump a little bit might be something like, Okay, a red flag for me is if I don't have enough time to go to the bathroom <laughs> enough times a day, right? That can be, you know, so that's that might be one way to just like build in actual like small breaks for like mm-hmm. basic functions, right? Cause that happens too, it's so annoying. And then you're late just cause you had to use the bathroom, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then for someone who's maybe a little bit further along, um, another speed bump might be like, okay, so things are a little bit more settled down. This feels better, but I still don't have time in my schedule to cook every meal. Mm. I'm st- I'm still either eating mostly granola bars, <laughs> or or I'm having to just do a lot of drive-throughs, right? And so for yeah. them, it, it might be like, okay, I want to at least cook two meals at home every day. That might be breakfast and lunch, and then dinner whatever, it can be popcorn, (laughs) right? Like we'll figure out whatever dinner's gonna be, but we're gonna at least get two meals at home a day. Mm -hmm. And so then someone even further along in their journey might say like, okay, I want to be able to meet with at least one friend every week for coffee. And then further along from that, it'll just be like, okay, I want to be able to, I don't know, tend to my garden at least three times a week (laughs) or something. And so it can definitely like change sort of as you go. And so for everybody, you know, you might need to be a little bit creative in terms of what you can do and what you really need to do. Mm. But, you know, I think starting with just like listening to your body and figuring out, okay, what does your body need? Are we getting enough water? Are we getting enough food? Are we getting enough rest? You know, if you're having to choose between getting seven hours of sleep and getting um, and booking one more gig and having one more student, and that's a red flag <laughs> if you're having if you're in a spot where you have to make these really hard, almost impossible decisions like that. Hmm. Um, and so, though that kind of thing is where I would start with those. Okay. just sort of listening to your body and you know, sort of seeing what what does the body need right now.
0: Yeah, some of the ideas that you just gave they seem really simple, like no brainer. Like, oh yeah, I want to cook two meals at home. Great. But actually like putting that into practice and trying to figure out how to do that if you haven't, if you don't have a habit of spending that extra time for yourself or like letting something go, are there like first steps that you can do to kind of like push that boundary?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind and they're kind of tied together a little bit. And first is just carving out the time to make a plan. So, for example, you don't necessarily need to schedule, Okay, I'm going to schedule 45 minutes for breakfast and then 30 minutes for lunch. Before you even do that, you need to just schedule 30, maybe 30 minutes to say, okay, I'm going to schedule 30 minutes one time to figure out what I'm going to do for lunch and breakfast this week. You know, just one time and not even 30 minutes, just five minutes, but literally just it's like whenever you have a bookshelf that's filled with books. And you're like, I'm gonna put one more book <laughs> on this. I'm gonna make it fit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to make myself like have the time to just think about what a realistic plan for me is going to be. And that might be something like I remember whenever I was like dealing with a lot of symptoms, just making <laughs> making breakfast was really hard. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say, cool, I'm just going to have a piece of bread. I don't even have to cook that. Just a piece of bread will be better than eating out. <laughs> right Right. and then okay cool i'm going to now toast that piece of bread cool toast and butter on the piece of bread okay let's get let's just add some like ham and cheese to that piece of bread okay cool let's fold it over okay cool let's make a sandwich okay cool let's add a side and you can gradually build up a meal that way Hmm. um and so but that's just one example of a plan and before you can even do that or come up with those ideas you need at least that time to think okay what am i going to do about meals right yeah Um, And the idea that's tied to that really is a phrase that I heard a while back that's called um, paving the cow paths. And depending on what industry you're you're in, that is either something that is a good thing to work towards, or it's something that you want to avoid entirely. But the idea is that by paving the cow paths, you're basically looking for the patterns that are already there. And you're basically going to use them to your advantage. Hmm. So the idea is if you want to get from point A to point B, you don't necessarily need to build a six lane highway. <laughs> you don't necessarily need to actually carve through, you don't need there to be this massive project in order to get started. There is probably a trail that will get you there and you just need to get access to that and make access to the pre-existing trail that's easier. Uh, a good example of that would be one time I was in a a full time job at a violin shop, and the job itself was actually like it was really cool. <laughs> uh, it did come with a lot of pressure though, and I was very stressed out. And I had um, two hours of driving every day to do it. Wow! And you know, it, got, it had gotten to the point where it was just an excessive amount of stress to have to deal with. And the only time that I found where I could breathe even a little bit was lunch. But I couldn't even have lunch in the building. I had to go to my car. <laughs> just to be outside of the building just to get myself to relax a little bit yeah and so the only way that I sort of got myself out of that was just taking time in my car at lunch even though it was hot you know it's just like well this is what I have so I'm just going to use this time to slow down Hmm. this is what I've got you know and so that doesn't necessarily look like um the idea of people like oh yes i get up at five in the morning every morning to meditate i've got my tea and i've got my my journal and everything if you need to journal in your notes app do it (laughs) if you need it if it needs to be in your notes app on your phone in your car when it's hot (laughs) you know go for it and you can absolutely start there and just let things sort of organically grow out of that um so i that's something that i would recommend to anyone who is really feeling stuck (laughs) and they feel like they don't really get a chance to slow down it's just look for the times where there's even a tiniest bit of a slowdown start there
0: yeah that's great advice i'm definitely someone who when i feel like i need to make a change i do like a huge change like you know i'm like oh i need a morning routine okay everything is changing about my morning um and but i know um if you're trying to implement changes just changing like one thing at a time is the best way to start like just so you're we talking about like with the piece of bread and then making the sandwich so i think that that's really helpful for me just to even think about like the how the little things that i do will help me make the bigger changes that i want to yeah, yeah. did you encounter feelings of guilt as you were kind of working through this process Yes,
1: especially because um, in my household, like just growing up, uh, being a really hard worker was always like a point of pride. Hmm. You know, I feel like that's the case for most people who willingly put themselves through the gauntlet of classical music. (laughs) Like, even if they don't have family members who are immediately directly professionals in classical music. it doesn't take a lot to necessarily feel like, oh, if, I, if I'm if i not busy, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it took a little bit of just sort of, there's definitely a lot of work that had to happen internally for me to say, okay, I'm going to scale things back a little bit. And I just need to brace myself for the judgment <laughs> that might show up. Yeah. And I also need to just be ready to have to work to just be a little bit more self-compassionate and at the very minimum you know if i wanted to make a change i'll say cool i'm gonna try this for two weeks if it doesn't work after two weeks and if there's no benefit from it i'm going to leave it
0: Mm -hmm. you know any kind
1: of new element that i tried to do Um, and so yeah just making small steps but then also being aware that not necessarily everybody in your world is gonna see it exactly the same way Um, you know, I think those are both really important things to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. What did your self-compassion and look like for you? Was it like self-care? Was it the way that you were kind of the mental talk?
1: A little bit of both. Okay. Maybe a lot of both. It was a mix (laughs) of both. Um, but yeah, you know, like in, in some ways it was just sort of like gradually, like building up on the self-care, like sort of coming in from physical therapy and just sort of gradually learning how to listen to my body. When I what I discovered was that my body has been screaming at me for years and I wasn't listening. And so there's a lot of internal work with that. And an interesting part of that is um as I teach lessons and as I work with a lot of a lot of younger children, most of them are around the ages of seven, eight, nine. Um, I do have to remember what the experience was like for myself. And I was seven, eight and nine at my first attempts at violin. And then finally 12 when I actually started practicing. Um, and so what I end up doing is inadvertently healing my inner child, <laughs> Wow! <laughs> which is just like, I, you, you kind of, it's weird that it's, it ends up being part of my work, but I have to like, have these conversations with eight year old me and be like, okay, how do you feel about reading music? You know, how do you feel about having to work with an instrument that's over here on your left shoulder when your sheet music is over there in front of you? Eight year old hate that. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and how do you feel about being told that you need to practice every day? Okay, how do you feel about this, that or the other? And really just sort of, I didn't even know that that's what that was called, but I ended up doing it anyway. And that inadvertently has led to more self-compassion and really having these sort of internal conversations that, go into like, okay, I would like to do ABC. What's gonna be the domino effect following that? And am I actually being kind to my future self if I actually expect her to do ABC, knowing that it's gonna lead through to so many other things and that it's gonna have all this extra stuff and fill up her schedule. Is that really fair? Am I gonna be mad at myself? Yeah. <laughs> no, I deserve it if I do that, you know? Yeah. And so there's a lot of there's just a lot of thought work that goes into it. And that's why I think, especially for a beginner, that the most fundamental thing about slow living is making sure that you just have time to think (laughs) so you can make that kind of decision. Because what looks like self-care and self-compassion for one person could be completely different for another person. And no one can make that decision for you. You ultimately have to make that decision for yourself. And so for me that ends up (laughs) like, visiting, like having these conversations with my inner child in a really weird way, and that has sort of led to more self-compassion, that might make no sense for somebody else to do. That might be super impractical and weird. I mean, it is impractical and weird, but it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that that's so helpful for your students that you've kind of come through this journey. And even you're working with like thinking about your inner child, you're so much better able to I think, teach them an understanding where they might be coming from. What are some of the ways that you kind of build the idea of Andante living into your teaching, aside from, you know, if they're like experiencing pain, taking a break? Because I think you're in a really awesome position where you can help them not have to necessarily walk the same path that you did.
1: Yeah. So there's some, there's some examples of this that are Really, kind of overt, I guess, and some that are very, very subtle. Um, and I think what's interesting is that over the course of two or three months, um, or even just one month, honestly, whenever I'm like working with students and working with parents, they sort of already had this expectation that, oh, you're a violin teacher, so you're going to be super strict, right? <laughs> you're going to be really tough, and this is going <laughs> to like there's like there's going to be there's going to be some baked in trauma, right? <laughs> And so then they're really surprised. They're like, Oh, she's actually like really chill (laughs) and we're making progress. What? (laughs) Like (laughs) this doesn't have to be really stressful, but these things are still getting better.
0: Mm -hmm. What?
1: (laughs) And I like to think of it as just like, okay, the violin itself is strict and can be kind of mean and unfair. Sometimes that doesn't mean I have to be, (laughs) you know, I'm just the messenger and one of the ways that I guess would be that would stand out a little bit more to my students would be something like okay I they all get this assignment sheet where I like as they're playing I'm like writing down their assignments for the week and at the bottom it has a sort of like a like a miniature practice tractor that just has the days of the week and they just check off the day that they practiced on right Nice. and so they look at that and some of them have the expectation where okay, I need to, I have to practice every day, and my mom needs to sign it, and (laughs) I need to turn it, and it's going to be for a grade, right? Yeah. And I explain it to both the student and the parent. I say, this is here if you want to use it. Some students love it, some students hate it. If you feel like it motivates you, and it helps you, like, stay on track, go for it, use it. You can even add more detail to it if you want, Um, but if it doesn't help, and if it just bums you out, don't use it. (laughs) Yeah. Right, and it's completely just there as a tool, and so parents are always a little bit surprised. They're just like, wait, I can choose whether or not I, you know, bake this into like homework and chores and hobbies. Like, mm, interesting. And one of the ways that's a little bit more subtle and really it's something that I wish was more common in academia is how I talk to my students while they're practicing and while they're playing through something. So one of the things that I noticed I was really struggling with in my own practice was as I'm playing, instead of just listening to the notes, I'm listening to my internal commentary about the notes that I just played. Right, which is just the worst. That is the easiest way to have a bad practice session and feel terrible the whole time and, and for it to just not feel like a rewarding experience and then to feel like you're constantly falling behind. That's a recipe for disaster, right? And I was trying to figure out, okay, where is that actually coming from? And it comes from years of violin lessons where I would be playing and my teacher is giving me commentary while I'm playing through something, expecting me to fix it on the next measure. Right. About the thing that I just did five measures ago. And part of the solution for that individually will be okay, I need to get more comfortable with just recording my practice, playing, and then doing analysis on the recording instead of the playing that I'm doing right this second. So that's one thing that I can do personally, but the way that I handle that in lessons is whenever they come in and they're going to play through their piece for the first time, I say, okay, so you're going to play this through. You're going to do your best to do it without stopping. If you get stuck, just say, I'm stuck. And I will help you get unstuck for little kids. They need to have that language. (laughs) They need to be told that it's okay to just say, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I got lost. I'm stuck. And You know, if you don't get stuck, fine, you go all the way through and I tell them, I'm not going to interrupt you, even if you make a mistake, because I don't want you to lose focus. And I want you to, you know, that's part of what we're doing is we're training your attention and your focus to be more refined than it was the day before. And this is a gradual process. So go all the way through. If you make a mistake, I'm not going to interrupt you. Because otherwise they're going to get into the habit of thinking, oh, she didn't interrupt me, so that must have been great. No. not what that means that just means that you know you absolutely have a right to essentially get to finish your sentence before you get critiqued and i think at least my hope is that in the long run they're going to be able to practice in a way that's really intentional and they're going to be able to mindfully switch gears between okay i'm performing okay i'm doing technique okay i'm doing you know some kind of etude okay i'm focusing on just doing a drill of this one measure and being able to mindfully go through their practice instead of just attempting the same line over and over and over again mm-hmm. so that's that's a couple of ways that i integrate that into my lessons and trying to teach them or really just demonstrate a good healthy relationship to practice
0: yeah i love that that's so helpful um as Adults who are musicians or um, people going through music school, how do you think that the slow living um, like ideology, I guess, affects, like how can we bring that into the practice room? Because I think so far, a lot of what we've talked about is ways that we can help our life be more sane <laughs> outside <laughs> of whatever we have going on, but actually within our practicing and our performing. Um, what what do you recommend for that? So it's it's kind of
1: interesting because there's a lot of aspects of slow living. You kind of have an internal world and you've got an external world. So in this case, an external world would be What kinds of deadlines do you have? Do you have a recital coming up? Is there a concert? Is there a gig? Are you doing a lot of gigs? Are you doing a lot of weddings? Um, You know, that kind of thing would be external demands. And then you have the internal work of, okay, is my, like, am I really setting myself up for success in the practice room, even if I didn't have any gigs, right? Like, do I need a rehair? <laughs> Have I given myself time to actually slow down and schedule an appointment for a rehair for both my regular bow and my spare bow? Do I need to change my string? You know, basic stuff that is really easy to procrastinate on. Um, like, am I setting myself up for success in that way? Um, and like, naturally one is going to influence the other a lot. Right? And so, to just have to briefly talk about like the internal part of it, one of the things that I'm working on right now is trying to craft a resource. I don't even know what form it's gonna be in. It might be a webinar, it might be like a little miniature ebook, it might be just a blog post, I don't know. But um, the idea is how to craft a practice space that's gonna be there to support you. Um, especially for people who are maybe moving a lot or for people who, Maybe have young kids that can be really hard to do, or maybe they're living in a dorm room, you know, and they don't necessarily have a lot of space. I don't, I don't have a ton of space. This, this is a, as good as it gets in this apartment. But, um, you know, trying to integrate certain ideas about like interior design and what we need as musicians to practice, and just have space to think, and sort of integrating those together into just a game plan to help people access their instrument in a way that feels normal. (laughs) Like, just like you would go to your phone or your laptop, you should be able to get to your instrument just fine. Um, and how to go about that in a way that feels safe and like, you're creating a little miniature sanctuary for yourself in a place where you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to take your time. And of course, how much time you actually have to take is going to be dictated by that external world. And for that, i would say it's really important to to focus on asking yourself questions like okay what kind of music do i want to be playing and is the music i'm playing right now is that building up those goals is it distracting me from those goals is that going to be is this really moving me towards something that i know i'm going to enjoy um and, and and just really like Navigating your own feelings about what these deadlines are and whether or not they're worth keeping in your life at the moment. So, for example, for me, like if I had to just if time and money were like, no, were of no concern whatsoever, probably what I would do is I would spend lots of time doing like an analysis of like the Mozart and the Beethoven string quartets. Mm -hmm. And then I would learn the first and second violin parts to all of it, (laughs) just in case. Yeah. And then I would try to get a group together and try to just make some really beautiful recordings of all that, right? Mm. And possibly like have some live things in there as well. Um, The whole recording process is like really fascinating to me, but basically that would be my my thing, right? However, realistically, I can do wedding gigs where we're sight reading (laughs) Sheet music right. at a wedding. And for some people, that's perfectly fine. For me, that like breaks my heart. When <laughs> we have, like, we finally got four people together and we can't even rehearse. What? Yeah. You know, and so after a while, it was just like, for just because of how much I love string quartets, uh, <laughs> I ended up like, okay, cool. I'm just not going to be putting more quartets on my calendar. Also, a lot of these are outdoors and that's more maintenance and my future self is not going to be very happy with me if i keep booking all of these outdoor gigs unless like until i get a spare instrument at least it's going to be able to endure it a lot better because the humidity here is just outrageous oh
0: yeah i imagine yeah Yeah. for for the listeners you're in Houston. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad and it's also pretty un- unpredictable. So that could be one sense in terms of like how you feel about a genre. Like is it worth it for you to meet a specific deadline to get a project done? Depending on what that project is, it absolutely might be. But it also might not be. And then it might also have to do with just the logistics of it. Um, like... So, for example, if I'm working with a community orchestra, uh, and there have been a few in the area that I played with a little bit, you know, and regardless of whatever the rehearsal process is like, or what the repertoire is like, or the concert, or what have you, if the check is coming in a month late, <laughs> you know, I sort of have to say, okay, we're just not going to do that in the future. <laughs> you know, they—it's it, just—it's just a month late, and so that's a deadline. That's an external pressure that I can take off. Mm. And then a big part of trying to figure out solo living is, okay, how do I adapt around these changes that I want to make realistically? That way um, I can still relatively stay afloat. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it sounds like you're putting putting really good boundaries in place of like, this doesn't bring me joy or I'm not comfortable with this. um, So that you're able to kind of craft the best possible experience of your music that you can have.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the one of the things to also consider is sometimes we have different kinds of genres that sort of pull our technique in different directions mm-hmm. a little bit. So, for example, most of the training that I've had or when I say most of, I mean, the, the training that I've had for the longest amount of time that comes from like a 21st century and a 20th century romantic violin technique. You know, and so that comes from a really specific kind of movement and a really specific kind of sound, which is fine. But what if the sound that I love the most is early music? What if it's baroque? You know, that's going to require a completely different technique, uh, and vice versa, right? You know, I, I don't know a lot of people who have the inverse problem, but it can happen <laughs> where they're stuck doing a bunch of broke stuff, and they'd much rather uh, be working on electric violin. I don't know. <laughs> um. And so it's important to sort of even just in the practice room sort of weigh out, okay what kind of technique am I going to spend the most time on and being able to navigate that. And at the end of the day, slow living is just this broad idea that's just sort of says you have the right to choose how you're going to do that. And you just need the time and the space in which to make that decision and to make a plan.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. Do you have. um thoughts about things in life that kind of show us examples of slow living. Like, as I was kind of thinking through this, um, I love gardening and like a garden is something that you cannot rush. Like plants take their time and they're just there in the soil and they're soaking up the sun and they're like living really beautifully and taking their time.
1: Yeah. And that is, actually brings me to, this is, this is related. Yeah. (laughs) But like, just speaking of gardening, I think it's really important for anyone who's a beginner in slow living to have a hobby that does not demand perfection at all. You know, and gardening is one of those. Like there's, you can, you can try. (laughs) I know, I know, like I've, I know that there are people who get the grow lights, they get the perfect soil, they get, they get all the things. Um... And you can try to be perfectionist about gardening, but at the end of the day, you really kind of can't. <laughs> the Plants are really just going to do their own thing. Yep. And so I think in looking for examples of things that are good exam, well, thinking of good examples of slow living, um, I think that would be one of the hallmarks that I look for. It's just like, okay, is it demanding perfectionism? Is it demanding that I show up at a specific time or that I do things in a specific way? Um, so example of that might have been for a little while i was really into like pour over coffee because you cannot rush it right it's just it's the kind of thing where it's not you can't just like press a button leave it and then come back and you can't automate it it's something that you have to do completely by hand and it started as like a good practice for me to sort of have a slow morning as i make my coffee and it was like a really nice ritual for me and then sure enough it turned into a perfectionist thing where i'm sitting there for the timer like okay it's gonna be for one minute and 40 seconds on this pour and then I'm gonna let it soak through okay now i'm gonna add 200 milligrams of water okay <laughs> and so that's something to watch out for too especially as classical musicians we're so trained to look for precision in everything um that's something i would watch out for even as ever even as you sort of explore things like gardening or coffee or, or what have you or even going for a long walk. It's so easy to accidentally turn it into a perfectionist thing. Um, But yeah, other examples of that, I would say going on a nice long walk in nature, things will happen on that walk that you cannot control, Mm -hmm. you know, but you know, you just, you can't control the weather, for example, right? But deciding to go on a walk anyway, even if it's rainy, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Or let's see, it's, it's kind of tricky because there are certain hallmarks of slow living that are almost like a stereotype of slow living, like baking bread, yeah. <laughs> like we mentioned earlier, baking bread or cooking. So long as like you have opportunities to practice letting go of perfectionism
0: mm-hmm.
1: as you're exploring those, I think that they're good tools just to sort of check out slow living yeah. for a little bit. Because anybody can become a perfectionist about baking bread, <laughs> unfortunately, or cooking, or what have you. Um, but yeah, gardening seems to be like the the halt, like the biggest <laughs> thing. Okay. Like cottage, like um, like the, there's this idea this of slow living where people imagine, oh yes, if you are practicing slow living, you must live in a cottage out on a farm. <laughs> And you must have this beautiful garden, and there must be ducks, and there must be deer, and there must be birds, and there must never be any kind of animal that would get in the way (laughs) of that, Mm -hmm. right? But the truth of the matter is that there are such things as foxes and coyotes, which, (laughs) and you know, just like, you know, we could use this as a big metaphor, but there are such things that will come in and try to interfere. Mm -hmm. And so I think any kind of You know, right now, right now it happens to be like gardening and it used to be baking bread. Now it's gardening and cottage and in the future, it might be something else entirely. Just what these slow living communities on the internet like to use as their hallmark of the thing that represents slow living. But the truth is that realistically, there is going to be something that's going to come in to try to interrupt that. And what makes the difference is how you handle it. Are you going to give up and go back into like the hustle? (laughs) Are you going to return to things so that way you can feel like you're on top of it and like you can make things perfect and be in control of stuff? Because that's a big temptation mm-hmm. as you go through it. Or are you going to roll with it? And are you going to yeah. find – are you going to try to outsmart it a little bit and adapt it, in that way?
0: It makes me think of improvisation. Yes. Like even cooking. You're like, ah you need a little more salt, right? Like if you're making a soup or something where you're not measuring mm-hmm. everything or or like with plants, I'm like, I think you need water. Like, I think that's why you're upset right now. Um, and that it's really hard. Like there's no such thing as perfect when you're improvising, mm-hmm. but it also is something where you're super in the moment.
1: Yeah, I find that slow living kind of, it sort of invites this, it invites a couple of things, but it invites the idea of like, once you actually get into the swing of slow living, it actually gets harder to define, <laughs> I found, I feel like if someone had asked me what slow living was in 2020, I would have had like the perfect textbook answer. But now that I'm actually living it, <laughs> and I have it more into my life and just like, okay, what am I? <laughs> what am I doing? How did I exist before? How did I even function before? you know and it 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 is hard to articulate exactly what it is because it's so abstract and you mentioned something about um how improvisation requires you to really be in the present Mm -hmm. that reminds me of um of a lesson that i had with a conducting professor in college and i don't remember exactly i think we were talking about okay why we need to record ourselves conduct why we should be in Mm -hmm. the habit of recording ourselves and I don't know what the current science on this, but it's a nice theory. The, I, what he was saying is that basically the idea of observing the present moment, remembering what was happening in the past, and then trying to predict what's happening in the future, those are three completely different functions of the brain. Mm. And so you can't really do both at the same time. You can't be in the moment and also think what was happening two beats ago. You really, you really kind of just have to gradually peel off of what was happening, and then anticipate. And so the idea is that by having a recording on, you're delegating at least one part of that. <laughs> you're delegating the past mm-hmm. to the recording. So okay, we don't really need to pay attention to that as much. We can let it go, and we can really just sort of be in the moment so much more. Mm-hmm. And at the end of at the end of the day, that's. <laughs> and I know I keep like sort of like going back to this, but. With slow living if you're giving yourself the time and the space that you need to make these kinds of decisions and craft the life that you want to live not necessarily what your schedule wants you to live or what other people want you to live
0: yeah
1: a lot of that process is just at first it's going to feel like you're constantly thinking about the future at least that's what i found when i first started doing it and started okay. like deliberately doing that and you're just going to think of like okay how am i going to fix next week next week's already broken what do i going to <laughs> know and that's that's a perfectly fine place to start like like I said start wherever you are Mm -hmm. and I find that you know with more practice and you know just with more experience I find that the amount of time that I'm looking forward to it goes from okay what am I gonna do for the for next week how do I fix next week okay how do I fix the next three days okay how do I fix today okay maybe I don't need to fix today maybe today's not on fire yet all right cool okay what am I gonna do for the next hour right? And as a result, I find I actually have time to read now. I have time to, like, listen to music. I have time to do the things I always anticipated an adult
0: would be able to have free time to do, (laughs) Yeah, you know, which is really nice. I think what you were saying about it being harder and harder to define the more you're practicing it, it just makes me think about, like, I think slow living is just, like, human living. Like, I think it's how our bodies and our minds want to live. It sounds Mm -hmm. almost like meditation where you're trying to exist more in the now. And I think our like modern society and technology and everything, we're planning so much more than we used to. And we have access to the idea of the past so much more than we used to, even in like, recordings and everything. And so the I think it's just harder and harder to be in the present and easier and easier to overbook ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I just think that this whole idea is so important and I really appreciate you sharing everything that you have. It's so valuable. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: like, it's helpful for me as well because like, I've been sort of thinking like, okay, how do I explain this to someone who like, like not not necessarily you specifically, but to anybody who maybe hasn't heard of slow living before? Yeah. And the the funniest example I have of that is, I guess maybe a year ago, I was talking to my dad about it, and he's been retired for the last five years, right? He lives out like he's he's got the cottage with the garden. <laughs> And there's like he doesn't have ducks, but he has like these purple martins that he defends with his life. (laughs) And it's just, it's a lot. And but he's he's basically doing it right. Like he's he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was talking about. He said, "What's slow living?" And I didn't even know where to start. (laughs) Just like you're just just the way you're existing right now. (laughs) Just that that is slow living. You're doing it, and you're doing great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like you're good. You don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah maybe throw some ducks in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Is there anything else that you want to share with anyone who's listening that we haven't like talked about? Um, let's see. I'm
1: trying to think off the top of my head. Um, one small thing, and this is just like a small practical thing. It almost feels a little bit off topic, but this is one of the things that has made the biggest difference for me, um, in last, like, I guess it's been a year and a half now since I started doing this and that is compl- like avoiding as many advertisements as possible <laughs> well, like, Advertisements okay. <laughs> at any cost. Right. And I know it seems a little bit random, but you know, the way that I started doing that was I had signed up for a uh, YouTube premium <laughs> after like thinking about it and thinking about it. And so I just did the trial and I was shocked because what I found was happening is and I didn't realize this until after i turned the ads off
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the ads that i had seen over and over and over again were showing up in my dreams and i was actually being advertised to in my subconscious while i slept oh my word <laughs> right and i had i had no idea until i just turned it all off right mm-hmm. and that really made me think of like like I said earlier, sometimes we're used to being in lessons where we're playing something and we're just doing our best, and we have this teacher here who is just constantly criticizing what feels like every single move that we make. As we're consuming social media and as we're watching movies, TV, whatever, whatever it is, um, we kind of have a similar thing going on. Even when we're just trying to relax, we're getting these constant calls to action, mm-hmm. and in some way, there's like a subtle criticism of you're doing something wrong here's the solution here's how you're going to fix it and we're just getting constantly pulled out of what otherwise would be a possibly just a relaxing or restorative whatever it is you were trying to do yeah <laughs> um and so sometimes that that can ruin the little free time that you had hmm. and it can make it harder to actually get started yeah and so you know and there's been a couple of times where you like oh you know may- maybe it's fine i'll go back to just having like normal like normal stuff on, I can I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> and I notice that if I'm like if I'm visiting my parents and they have ads on the TV all the time, I realize that I'm now like more on edge, and it's harder for me to wind down just because advertisements have gotten so aggressive, and we've gotten so used to it, we've gotten so desensitized to use it, uh, we've gotten so desensitized to it. And so I would say that. If you are going like 200 miles an hour and you're stuck and you're like, I want it like sound, slow living sounds fantastic, but I don't even know where to begin. And I don't even feel like I have an extra five minutes, turn off ads. You will get that five minutes (laughs) and that five minutes will turn into 10 minutes. That 10 minutes will turn into half an hour. That will turn into an hour and then you're going to feel like you can breathe again. And so that's, that's something I would recommend that you can literally do with the press of a button.
0: That's great. Yeah, it's like getting so, your life back.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're getting yeah. it. You're getting your life back thirty seconds at a time. Yep. You know, starting teeny tiny, and I know it's like super random, but that is like the probably the most basic, practical advice I would yeah. give anybody is just turn off the ads and get that part of your life back, because you deserve to be able to just watch a video or read something as much as you as much as you can without somebody bombarding you with constant criticism and feedback all the time that you didn't even ask for. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Wow, that's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Well, if people want to find you, they can go to your Instagram on Dante Living. Um, And then if they're interested in your studio or other things, is it Valerie Spates Violin? Is that your Mm -hmm. account? Yes. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing, and I really appreciate you sharing your journey with Slow Living and all of the advice that you have for everyone.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again to Valerie for coming on the podcast. That was absolutely amazing. I so enjoyed getting to talk to her. And I hope that you all learned a lot of practical steps that you can take towards a more slow lifestyle that benefits you as a musician and benefits your mental health. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review and follow me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. And head over to the Misfit Musician Instagram to connect with me. I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful week. You are magic. Live in love.